Hi, this is Luke McKenzie, and this is The Greg Bennett Show. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished an amazing conversation with a longtime friend and one of Australia's all-time greatest Ironman athletes, Luke McKenzie. And in this episode, Luke goes through his career. And what I loved about it is how much he talked about family and the importance of having that great family support crew. And, you know, he talks about some of the highs and lows that he that he had in his career. And, and, and what really stood out to me was some of the lows and how he managed those and how he was able to progress from them. He really was a very authentic guest and somebody just, I just truly enjoyed this conversation. It was really, I didn't want to hang up. It's going to be a great one if you're heading out for a long run or an easy bike. Uh, Listen to Luke. He's got some amazing stories. It was an amazing career. We do talk about the business that he has created with his wife, Beth McKenzie and, you know, Win Republic. It's an absolutely outstanding clothing brand. So make sure you go check that out. You can go to winrepublic.com or Marlo Republic. And they also have a community of athletes called Winners that you can go check out as well. But this was just a really fun conversation with a longtime friend. And, and I truly am grateful for him getting up at 5am in Hobart time, Australia to chat with me. So big shout out to Luke for that. I appreciate you for that. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. I do want to just thank you all so much for listening and sharing this show. It is growing. There's been well over a million downloads. It's um, been really fun for me to be a part of this. And I, I appreciate, appreciate all of you and all your feedback over the years. And so please keep it coming. Please go review me on Apple Podcast. If you enjoy the show, that can really just help out in terms of positioning the show. So go do that for me. That'd be great. And finally, go check out any question. Luke will be on there. He's going to be answering questions and there's a whole bunch of other athletes and everything else you can ever imagine. It's free. So any question, you can go to iOS or Android or on the web, anyquestion.com and you can look up any of the athletes. Um, And right now we have over a thousand experts. We have over 60,000 answers. It's all been catalogued. You can find exactly what you want with the content there. And if you have any follow-up questions for Luke, go to anyquestion.com and you can find Luke there and ask him follow-up questions. All right. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by an incredible Australian triathlon legend, a nine-time Ironman champion and a narrow second place finisher at the Kona Ironman World Championships in 2013 with a professional triathlon career that lasted almost two decades. And since retiring, this amazing athlete and his beautiful wife, Beth, have created an absolutely wonderful world-class, high-performing clothing brand and triathlon community called Win Republic and its sister brand, Marlow Republic. And just seeing their dedication and hard work to make this happen. It's just been incredibly inspiring. He's been a friend of mine for the better part of 20 years, and it's just an absolute honor and privilege to have him join me today. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Luke McKenzie, how are you, mate? Oh, Greg, it is great to, to chat and, and uh, hear that voice again. It's, yeah, like you said, it's been been a while now, but yeah. uh, we've, we've known each other and, and, and raced each other since the 90s, actually. So It's amazing. Um, yeah, it's been a, a long journey to this point. And yeah, thanks for having me on. I think I actually heckled my way onto this. I, uh, 
I think uh, you, you had BG on uh, a couple of weeks back. And <laughs> I called my way on. I, I said to you, about time you had her on because, you know, <laughs> we'd always sort of, we would always talk together and, and said, oh, you've got so many good stories dating back so long. And, uh, yeah, so it was great that you had her on. And then I think just by default I got on. So. No, it's not like that. You know what it's, you know what it probably is? It's like, some of my really closest friends, it's almost more awkward to say, come on. It's like, uh, I don't know. I've, I've always felt like the more I reach out to people that, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of close friends I've had too, but it's kind of like when it's right in front of you, you almost don't see it. And, and it was the same with BG. When I'm like, how did it take me, you know, three years to get BG on the show? And, and the same for yourself. So in fact, I want to start the show with an apology that I haven't had you on sooner. Yeah. And I want to use this time to just you know, share your stories, um, catch up with you because you are a good mate and we haven't, you know, spoken since pre-COVID, um, since, you know, normally we'd hang out in Noosa a lot and train together and all that kind of thing. So it has been a, a while and I'm just excited to have you on. But where are you, where are you at the moment? Yeah, so Beth and I are down in Hobart this weekend for the inaugural uh, Hobart 70.3, which is an exciting event here in Australia we've got going on. So mm. um, yeah, we're exhibiting uh, starting later today, actually, uh, huh. down here at the Constitution Dock and uh, supporting some of our athletes. So, yeah, we're very, super excited for this event. It's, uh, I think, probably going to be uh, quite an epic one, actually. The Obviously, having it here in Tassie has got its risks with the weather, but um, yeah, no, just a great destination. So we had to we had to jump on board that. By the way, everyone listening, Luke is up recording. Actually, it's before five thirty a.m. It's like the athlete mentality. When I said we were trying to make this time zone work between Florida and and Tasmania, and he said, "Yeah, no, five thirty is fine." And I I kind of got a laugh. I'm a bit the same that I, I get up early, but I do appreciate you getting up so early. But you also said. It's 12 degrees down there, Celsius, which is what? That's, uh, I, think it, I think it's actually less today. I think uh, it's seven currently. So, yeah, <laughs> we just left Noosa yesterday. It was 30 degrees and 90% humidity, and now we've woken up to seven degrees. So, um, yeah, Beth's going to enjoy her morning run. Oh, man, it actually is nice for running. She'll feel really good yeah. running, but to do, yeah. a, to do a triathlon – in that weather and, and just let me um so 30 degrees when you say that that's about 90 degrees fahrenheit and and yeah. seven degrees what are we talking it's about 45 degrees uh fahrenheit. Yeah. and i so, guess i guess the americans i mean it's the middle of winter they're, they're like so what but this is summer <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the dead of summer <laughs> to, yeah to 40 degrees fahrenheit in the middle of summer for a reason yeah Man. so uh, it's good for Beth. She's racing the Tokyo Marathon in a few weeks and that's mm. going to be mm. quite chilly. So I think might, maybe a little bit of uh, acclimatization there will be good. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of her Instagram posts. She's fit. She's doing really well. Yeah. Are you able to keep up with her on a run these days? No, not at all. No, <laughs> there's, a, there's a big 36-kilometer run tomorrow that I'm supposed to be dragged into, but I, I don't think I'm going to get around that one. Wow. Try my best. But we'll see. 36K run tomorrow? Yeah, she's you, got... You guys I are still really one of our fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been. Um, I'm struggling to get to 5k runs these days. I, I, I do enjoy doing my 5k runs, and I try to do them well. But honestly, it's hard. Now you've just you've just come from Tour Down Under, right? Were you guys watching that for a bit? Yeah, we uh, we went there. We were we were doing a little bit of work there, but um, also we just wanted to have a little getaway for, mm. for the summer break with the girls. And and Beth's parents were actually supposed to come out from from America, but. Had a bit of an unfortunate accident, and um, yeah, oh. Beth's 
stepmom broke her wrist right as she was about to board the plane oh, to no. Australia. So they didn't get to come, but we uh, we went down to, to Adelaide anyway and enjoyed, you know, all the the beauty that is South Australia. It's such a great part of the world and we just mm. love it there. And so and we sort of tried to make it as much of an annual as we can now uh, to get down there, do some riding, do some running. Yeah. and. There happens to be a lot of wineries down there, which we love. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mix. That's a great mix. Did you catch yeah, up? Do you know Phil Liggett? I mean, obviously you know of him, but are you mates with Phil? Uh, I, I know of him. Um, yeah. He's interviewed me and I, oh, not, uh, you know, on any kind of real formal channels, but, you know, I've talked with Phil and, yeah, yeah, no, really great guy. And I did not come across him while I was there. I think yeah. I sort of I stayed out of the out of the hustle and bustle of it all for, mm. for the most part. We, we got down to the end of a stage and, and watched them come across the line. But, yeah, we like to get out on the course and, and see various parts of it, and that's that's good enough for me these days. That's awesome. Awesome. It's a, it's an incredible race. I, I'm not going to lie, I actually didn't get to watch any of it myself, but when you're down in Australia, it is, it's amazing television and, and, and a great race. Now, before we dive into your sort of, um, you know, career and journey and everything else, you – mentioned to me some pretty big news for Win Republic and I just uh, I want to kind of get in front of that at the start of the show so so what's happening we're, we're very excited and pleased to be welcoming Chelsea Sidaro to the Win Republic family so uh, Chelsea being the current Ironman world champion first American to win the Ironman world championship as a woman for over 20 years uh, joining our brand, Win Republic. I think you know we we are just so wrapped to have her on board and be working with her over the next few years ahead. And yeah, it's it's just for us as a small family brand, you know, a big vote of confidence from someone like her to mm. be coming on board and working with us. And we're just so wrapped with it. So we're very pleased to be adding her to our stable of of athletes, and um, that stable just gets stronger and stronger. And uh, I think that's a testament to not only the the brand that we've built but just the the community we've built we've been able to attract people to to be part of the win republic brand not purely based on the products but just also what we offer as a community so mm. yeah great to have chelsea on board mate mega congrats um and yes her resume is outstanding I, I had her on the show and i gotta say just she's a beautiful human being you, you're gonna enjoy just working with her as well. I just think she's a spectacular person. She's already been a dream. I think, you know, just the story is so inspiring, but then you sit down with her too and she's just so down to earth. I think that's the thing that really attracts us mm -hmm. to her as mm -hmm. well is being, you know, in that sort of space with a person that, you know, is such a high achiever, but then on the same, you know, in this in the same situation can just be, you know, very approachable and I think that's what really resonates with a lot of people as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you mentioned your stable of athletes. You you know, when, when you have someone like Braden Curry and Aaron Royal and, um, you know, Jackie Herring, uh, Jocelyn McCauley, Sam Appleton. I mean, you've got – it's quite a – you've got an amazing group. You, you're identifying really great athletes. There's a couple of them I've got to get on the show. So um, maybe between you and I post-show we'll, we'll, we'll coordinate to bring them on and we'll celebrate Win Republic on the show as well. Um, but really, I mean, you've got to be pretty happy with the athletes that you've got. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously us coming from the, the professional triathlon background, you know, we, we obviously operated in a space where we were able to, you know, be, we, were, we were rivals and, and we raced these, these athletes, but now we are, we're on the other side of the fence and we're able mm. to sort of 
you know, be, be supportive of them. And I think that's where, you know, we're really enjoying that space now too. You know, people say, oh, don't you miss racing? And we're at the races. We, what are we missing? Like we're, we're, on, we're, we're just in a different space now. And mm-hmm. so you know, we, we're there on the sidelines in Kona every year since we've retired. It's, it, it's, nothing's really changed. It's just that we're not actually putting our bodies through it any, <laughs> anymore. And, you know, we get to support these amazing athletes. And I think that's, that's probably something that, you know, has been part of this journey for us, has been, you know, what's, what's pleasing to us is, is to still be involved, but, um, you know, being able to be supportive of the development in the sport and people that are coming through in the next wave, you know, it's just, I'm such a fan of the sport, as you know, and Mm. I think just, just being a spectator is something that I, I, and Beth really, really love. Yeah. I am. I'm a bit like you. I think part of having this podcast has been a little bit where I still just skip to feel like I'm a part of the sport that gave me so much. And, um, if I can give back a little bit and share people's stories, I, I, I feel like I'm in a very fortunate place. Um, so let's do that. Let, let's, let's go to my favorite part of the show, which is, you know, really rewinding the clock. I'd love to hear, you know, how you first found the sport and how you found the passion for the sport of triathlon and how old were you and, and you know, were you an athletic background and siblings, siblings and everything else? So, so tell me, when did all of that start? Yeah, I mean, it's a long way back now, um, <laughs> like all the way back to the 80s, actually, really, wow. when you think about it. Um, you know, I was born in 81 in, in Taree, New South Wales, which you'd probably know from racing there back Very in the well. day. My parents had a house there for many years too, yeah. Yeah, right. So I, I grew up in Wingham, which is just sort of 13 k's inland. It was actually where you rode to on the bike course of the Taree Triathlon. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I got into the sport of swimming, soon found myself quite competitive at that and played a lot of team sports there, but, you know, I really did love the swimming and which led me to surf life saving, which led us to being part of the Blackhead and Foster surf clubs. And, you know, that was our, that was our daily routine was swim training, surf club, uh, all that sort of thing growing up Mm -hmm. as a young nipper. And, um, yeah, we'd go out each year and obviously the Foster Ironman happened every April and our family would go out and watch. And I think it probably I mean, as far back as I can remember, we used to go out there every year and, and watch it. But I think the pivotal year for me was probably one of the years that we were out there. Uh, our surf club would always run the, the very last aid station at, out the front of the uh, Foster Bowls Club. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be there as a seven, eight, nine-year-old and, and we'd be there handing out the water at the aid stations. And I was the kid that would hand off the, the water to Paulie Carew and then chase him in towards the finish line in towards Foster and, and then I'd go double back and do it with the next guy. And, and that was sort of just each April I lived for that. You know, I'd sit on the side of the road and wait for them to discard their bottles and I'd take those home and, you know, I, I'd go home and practice my triathlons around Tari and Wingham. And, yeah, so that was, you I know, back that. in the late 80s. And, you know, obviously back then there wasn't a huge junior sort of pathway into triathlon I don't think but I soon moved to the Gold Coast um, in 94 where you know my competitive swimming sort of came to a pretty abrupt end once I started swimming with Dennis Cottrell's squad I was in <laughs> next, next to uh, Grant Hackett and Kai Hurst and Daniel Kowalski and you know the best swimmers we had in Australia at the time and you know Grant and Kai and, and these guys they were just 
six to 12 months older than me, but it was quite evident that these guys were significantly better at swimming. And there happened to be a tri squad that was going on at the same time at the end of the pool. I don't know if you've, you obviously know Jenny Alcorn mm-hmm. and the Surf Paradise mm-hmm. Tri Club. And some of my friends that I was attending school well, at Palm Beach Crumman High School, they, they, they were doing this triathlon squad and they lured me over one day to do one of their wind trainer sessions. And I sat there on the wind trainer and, and, you know, watching over the, the swim squad that I was supposed to be swimming with. And I thought, well, this might be something I might want to do. So, you know, I started signing up for some triathlons in my, my first one yeah, in 94, 95. I, I can't mm-hmm. quite remember what year it was, but yeah, I think it just progressed pretty quickly from there into the, you know, the Australian junior program, you know, I was within a year or two racing at the national level and then ultimately getting selected for some teams that you, you were actually on. I was just in the junior mm-hmm. category under you. And so I think I probably first went away and saw you race. Did you race Lausanne in mm-hmm. 96? 90, no, uh, World Champs, yeah. Lausanne was 97. I 97. That yeah, was the first Cleveland was 96. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I was actually only a reserve for the try, but I did the, the duathlon in St. Wendell in Germany the week prior. Ah. Yeah. So that's sort of just the, I guess, the quick version of how I got into it and where it led me, you know, into sort of pursuing it as a bit more of a serious career. I, I love the visual of you working at the last aid station at Foster Tankari Ironman. But by the way, there was only a few Ironmans in the world at the time. You know, there was Hawaii, there was Roth, and there was there was Foster, which was the Australian, and I think New Zealand's also pretty old. So there wasn't many of them, and so all the world's best would turn up. And I, I just love the visual of you <laughs> giving them their water and then running with them for <laughs> however long it took until they dropped the water bottles or whatever and you could collect all of it. And, um, and then I kind of visualize you then doing that as an eight-year-old, but then fast forward to 2013 and here you are moments away from almost winning the biggest weight race in the world, the Kona Ironman World Champs. And we won't go straight there yet, but I just think of you as that young kid and the, how passion for what we do is so important. You know, it's what keeps that fire alive. It all starts with a dream. It really does. So when was it, you know, you made those junior teams and you know, you're getting a bit of success in the late 90s there. Was it always, I want to be a professional triathlete or was there a, a moment that you're like, huh, maybe this is something I could do, you know, if I can be a professional at? Was there one race or was it over time? Yeah, I think it was over time. But, I, you know, during my later high school years, I was actually starting to get thrown into doing some of the racing, like the, you know, as part of the Accenture series and the one summer series, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. things that were I remember that. Uh, quite big at the time that, you know, even in high school, I was at, uh, just was racing at the professional level quite young and quite early. But I think, you know, in, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I think, you know, doing that and hardening yourself in that kind of racing at a young age was actually ultimately really good for me. Mm. Yeah. So as I, you know, there was a little bit of impatience on my part to, to leave school because I do, I do remember on the daily, I would, I would go into Palm Beach Crumb in high school and there'd be, there'd be some kind of triathlon event going on that weekend. Or, you know, even I would be walking into school and Cole Stewart's squad would all go riding past the front gate of the school. And I just <laughs> long be sort of part of that group and going out on their Wednesday ride and I was going to school. So 
Yeah, no, I got the opportunity pretty quickly after that to, to go over and be part of the first AIS program over in Aix-les-Bains in, in France. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was a really sort of pivotal moment. You know, I, I deferred my university that very first year out of school. I got a scholarship at, at uh, Griffith University and on the Gold Coast and I ended up going over to Aix-les-Bains and, and racing you know, in the, in the French series. So it was like and, 99, 2000, was it around that time? Yeah, 99, 2000. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I quickly sort of, I guess from there just carried on. I just wanted to keep following the summer and, and racing and I was doing well enough to, I guess, at least get by at that stage. And so I, I you know, I was making, you know, good waves in the mm. junior programs and ultimately came third at the world junior champs in Edmonton in 2001. So yeah. I think there was like a little bit of hope there, I guess, that maybe I could look towards an Olympics, you know, like a Beijing or something. But uh, once you guys all retired, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I think just really quickly I found my niche more in the non-drafting stuff soon after that and mm. probably more back to my true passion too, you know, obviously yeah. getting back towards the following the Ironman series and, and ultimately Kona. Was that a, a conscious decision then? It was kind of, you know, because you obviously you got the ability but your passion was calling to do the non-drafting and the Ironman. What kind of decision was that like? Because I know the culture is kind of like if when you're in the Olympic program, it's all about the Olympics, Olympics. And then when you're in the Ironman sort of stuff, it's all about Ironman. And yeah. was that a hard decision for you? Not really. I, I joke that I have Cole Stewart to thank for this. I, um, <laughs> in 2001, I finished third at the World Junior Champs in Edmonton and obviously was sort of on a pathway towards trying to represent Australia on the ITU circuit and ultimately at the Olympics and things like that. And 2002 rolled around and you'll probably have a bit of a laugh at this, but do you recall the big crash we had at the Geelong yes. ITU? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was part of that. I probably caused it. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember jumping Simon Whitfield who was yeah, on the middle uh, of the road and I sliced him Martin open. Sl- that took out my front wheel, but <laughs> poor old... Simon Whitfield went straight over the hangers and broke both his wrists there. Anyway, that also injured me, Uh which meant going into the Australian Junior Champs at Bar, I wasn't in great shape and uh, didn't get selected ultimately for the 2002 junior team that was going away. I think you were going to Cancun maybe. Was that Cancun? And Yeah, and so I was training. uh, We actually had... Um, McKeeley Jones was training with us at the time on the Gold Coast with Cole and Pete and McKeeley said, come over to San Diego. Crowey's coming over. Um, you know, they're gonna, he's going to rent a place in San Diego. You can be his roommate. Come over and try your hand at the US non-drafting scene. And so not having been selected for the junior team to go to Cancun, I thought, well, that's a great opportunity. And I packed up my road bike and got over there and unpacked it. And Pete said, what is that? You can't ride that on this circuit. Um here's one of McKeeley's extra joints you can set up as a time trial bike and yeah, and off we went. So wow. I love the, U- I know that you do too, but mm. the U S non-drafting circuit back in those days, you know, I was, it was so great going to all those big city races, you know, New York, Chicago, LA, mm. you know, I was just trying to nip at the heels of, of the likes of you and Macca and Waldo and, and mm. all those guys. But, you know, that sort of really led me to where i sort of felt comfortable in the sport too. I, mm-hmm. you know, I just loved being able to utilize bike strength a little bit more and 
Yeah, I really loved the lifestyle and living in the States as well. I know a lot of the athletes were, were sort of heading over to Europe at the time and the US wasn't really, you know, besides yourself and a, and a few others, there wasn't really that many Aussies going over at the time. So, um, yeah, to be around Pete McKeeley and, and Crowey at the time really sort of helped me get my pathway into that non-drafting and, and, a, and a different sort of genre of triathlon. Mm. I, I think you and I, because we probably did grow up with the sport a little bit in the 80s and early 90s, there is that kind of almost like an old school mentality where the sport is meant to be non-drafting and it's meant to be the pros racing with the age groupers and it's an all-in-one event. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I, I loved my time in, in the World Series as well, but there was definitely a strong calling to come back to that kind of racing. And and I think you look back at that time from sort of 2002 to 2012, there's almost a 10-year period where the racing in the States you know, whether it was Olympic distance, 70.3 distance or Ironman, it was really, really shining. And I think it was a great time to be there and be a part of it all. And and you mentioned Pete Coulson. Um, he, he really did a lot for a lot of the young Aussies that wanted to come over, Chris McCormack, Crowey, yourself, and a number of others, right? He, he was a, a very supportive. Yeah, no, I, it was just such a great setup that everyone had there in, in San Diego. It felt very homely for the Aussies and, um, you know, it was a good good culture. You know, we, we just trained really hard, but we, we had a good time doing it. And, um, yeah, no, I think that exposure at, you know, I was 20, 21, the daily routine of training with someone like Crowey, you know, he hadn't really quite made it yet either. He was sort of on the way up. Mm-hmm. He hadn't really cracked his big results and we we're all just doing our best at the time. I, I do have a lot to thank uh, Pete and McKeeley really did uh, give me my opportunity over in the States and showed me a lot more than just, you know, how to train as an athlete, but also, you know, the professionalism that came with it and mm. you know, ultimately dealing with sponsors and things like that. It was a really good insight from a very young age how mm. to approach all that and mm. something that I, I still carry forward today. That's awesome. When did you decide, when was your first sort of Ironman? When did you give that your first go? Yeah, that's sort of interesting as well. I guess I came back from the US season in mid 2004. So I guess the start of the Australian summer signed up for Noosa raced that. And I guess probably just prior to that, they announced that they were having Ironman Western Australia for the first time. And Mm. I thought, well, you know, I've got, I've had a really good year, solid racing and training over in the States. And here's a great opportunity to have a crack at my first Ironman. So yeah, Bustleton 2004, I, I lined up and thought I'll give this a go, and yeah, it was. Uh, I had a pretty great day. I led led till about thirty odd kilometres until Jason Shortest ran me down, and <laughs> uh, actually Pete Jacobs got me right before the finish shoot. So I ended up third in that one, but I was hooked. I, I, I had a, a good enough day to want to come back and pursue it and continue to, you know, want to improve. And yeah, but that first year in Bustleton was definitely the turning point where I just thought, yeah, I really want to go all in and, and pursue this Kona thing and have a career in Ironman. You look back at your resume now, and, and I sort of touched on it at the top of the show, but what really stands out to you? I mean, you've got some incredible performances. Like I said, nine Ironman wins. And what I love about your when I say nine Ironman wins, it wasn't in one, you have... Two in Japan, one in Malaysia, one in China, one in Brazil, two in Cairns, WA, and then Wisconsin. I mean, it's all around the world, all different conditions. 
Um, and plus you're second at the Kona Ironman World Championships. When you look back, what stands out to you? I mean, it doesn't have to be one. There can be multiple there, but what, what stands out to you? Yeah, no, it, it's such a long drawn out period. It's hard to really nail down. I mean, I, and I went, I was going through different phases of my life there too, right? So hmm. there's different races hold memories for different reasons. You know, obviously the, your first Ironman win, that was, you know, way back in 08 in Japan. So mm-hmm. it's going back, you know, a long time now. I think that sort of really got the ball rolling with, you know, I I, I found racing in Asia was, was good for me. You know, I could still base in Noosa. They generally came off the back of, you know, the hard summer training that I was actually doing with you. Mm. And then I could still go over and race some of the non-drafting stuff through the middle of the year prior to Kona. So it worked quite well mm. without having to pack up and leave Australia for the whole year. So yeah, some of those those races in the early years, they were hard. That, that Some of the races in, in China, for instance, is just I've probably never been so close to death in a race as that race. Like, it was so hard. Uh, but, you know, on an IV at the end and oh. it was just brutal conditions. And But back to the, the topic, I guess, yeah, the ones that really stand out for me, Ironman Western Australia 2015 was mm. a big one for me. Mm. I, I, a little bit of adversity just prior to that. I did my only DNF in Kona uh, was in 2015, and so coming back and just really just throwing caution to the wind and just absolutely going for it at that race was was something that really I think well, I'm proud of. Um, you, well, you went a 7:55 there too. I mean, and this is at the time where very few athletes had ever gone under eight hours. 755. Yeah, no, and it was like, uh, I think. You won by 21 minutes. Hang on. You, you won. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder at that one. So I really just, just <laughs> ran after it on the bike. And I, I, I raced the bike like I was ne- wasn't even going to run the marathon. And right. yeah, no, I, I really did have a great day there. And I think that's the thing is you, you just never know what you're going to get in this sport. You're going to have so many highs and lows. Mm. and take the, the good days and because you, you're definitely going to have the, the not so good days and yeah no I mean besides that I think you know some of my wins at Cairns have been really pleasing to me and and dear to me because they've been in front of my family and friends and you know people that I grew up with you know people that in, had invested time with me early on or, or just even school school friends mm-hmm. you know go up to Cairns to support me at that race and I hold dear those memories. Um, mm. Ironman Wisconsin in in uh, was was one that you know I'd always wanted to win one in America, and I think that race was probably one of the even though probably on paper it didn't appear to be so amazing. It's just one of those ones that I finished, and I was like I couldn't have really done much more on that day. I, I just felt like it was not the perfect race because I don't think that ever exists. But perfect, that was one yeah. where I finished, and I was like, mm. yeah, I'm pretty happy with that one. Yeah, and then obviously the big one that everyone you know always talks about, Kona, um, twenty thirteen. That's sort of where I guess people know me mostly from is my, I guess, second place there. And that that was a day where I think you know I everything fell in my favor. I you know I'd always raced very opportunistically and. I think sometimes that pays off in Kona and it didn't always, but uh, that, that day it definitely did. Where, 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 did, where did Van Leed come past you there? Because you held the lead for, I remember you, you were 
out front for so, so long. Everyone's like, when's he, when's he going to blow type thing? When's, you know, it's like that, oh, he, this guy's nuts. Um, yeah. But I think you held him off, didn't you? hold him off to like 30K, 20 miles? Yeah. Yeah, he got me at the 30K mark in the energy lab. It was actually caught on this year's um, recap video of the uh, of the Kona race just to rub it in a little bit. I think, <laughs> I think, the, I think the, um, the little section was something about the energy lab where the race is won and lost. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, a, there's an image of Freddie just, uh, yeah, trucking on past me in the energy lab. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a low, low point there in the lab and I was quite – uh, yeah, obviously at that point you sort of just go into survival mode. But I, um, I actually came out of the lab and I got back into a really good rhythm and was able to sort of hold Freddie back to town at that point. So had I not had that low point, I think we would have had a really good close race. So, mm. you know, hindsight's always good. But, you know, I'd, I'll always take that second place. You know, I you know, was one of those kids that dreamed to, to be up there leading the Hawaii Man. I got to do that and... Um, I did it on other occasions as well, but probably not so, you know, in such um, mm. high stake circumstances as 2013. So yeah, yeah. it was, uh, you know, that was probably one of one of the days that you know will probably go down in in my memory as as one of the greatest for me. Yeah, and I think it should, mate. As a mate watching you, and I remember, you know, sort of watching that one and and being just, I was like, holy shit, he's because <laughs> I think. <laughs> I remember you had like a three or four minute lead off the bike and, and then you had to hold hold it, you know, and you, you basically were holding them, holding them, holding them. And like you said, you just had that that moment and then it was like, oh, is, he, is this it? You know, it goes from win to 30th place. But then you didn't, to your credit, right? There's a, that ability to come out and regroup and go, no, what have you got? You know, and still hold on second. I mean, you got people like Sebastian Kinley chasing you down and, T.O. and Tyler Butterfield and a lot of our other mates. Ivan Rahner, I think, was in that one. Some amazing athlete. James Connemar. Yeah, big. that was a big race. That was a really outstanding race for you. When, when, yeah. when you look back at your career, you mentioned, you know, you, uh, note to self, don't piss off Luke McKenzie if, if watching his yeah. WA 2015 <laughs> Ironman performance is any indication. But you've had some lows. Yeah. What have been some of the things that you've had in your career and you know, what have you learned from them to carry forward? Yeah, I think that would probably be my biggest piece of advice to any young person getting into the sport or in, into Ironman in particular is you, you're going to have the highs and you're definitely going to have the lows. It's just, it's mm. such a, a brutal sport. Um, there's so many variables and, you know, you can be as well prepared as anyone and and know that um, you've done everything you possibly can on to, to get to the start line, but then you've got you know, seven and a half, eight hours of racing ahead of you where you're just troubleshooting all day. And mm. I think, you know, there's, yeah, definitely been the races that, you know, do go to plan and, and there's ones that, that don't for various reasons. And, you know, some of the, the low points for me, you know, obviously going all the way back to the early 2000s when I didn't get selected for that Australian junior team in 20, mm-hmm. uh, 2002, I came off that and, you know, I, you know, when you're working so hard towards something and you feel deserved of something, I know, you know, I've heard you speak of similar things with around the Olympics and, and mm. your selection there. You do race with that little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder and I think sometimes that's good. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously it, it turned out for the better where I pivoted and, and went in a different direction and started 
working towards a new area of the sport, but probably some of the other ones, you know, people probably don't know too much about early 2013 for me, but, you know, at the time I was going through a marriage breakup. I, you know, had come off, you know, pretty rubbish 12 months of racing. You know, I hadn't had any real standout results um, in 2012 and it's, it's, I felt like I'd plateaued a little bit, I guess, after mm-hmm. some early success with, I think I was, had five Ironman wins at that point and, you know, I'd broken into the top 10 a few times in Kona, but I, I sort of wasn't really making the, the forward progress that, mm-hmm. you know, I felt the training was warranting and, and just, you know, the way I was racing even. That time in early 2013 where it was back to just me. I, I was in San Diego and over there by myself for several months. And, uh, you know, I I just used that time to like really, you know, focus on me again and, and what I really wanted. And I knew that I really wanted to to get back to Kona and have that really good race. And in to, to do that, I needed to, you know, do well at an Ironman to, to, to qualify. So mm. I went to Cairns in 2013 and had a really good race run the race and I beat Macca that day mm-hmm. and he said to me after the race, he said, mate, if you race like that in Kona, you will win. And I carried that for the next six wow. months. Wow. Those few words, what they can mean, right? That's amazing. Exactly. And that, that, you know, just from someone that I admired and, and had really looked up to for so long and, you know, to feel like, you know, I'd sort of and that place there really gave me the confidence going into that next training camp. Uh, you know, I worked really hard in Oregon um, leading up to 2013. But, yeah, that period prior to that is probably one of the biggest lows. You know, I just, you know, I, I was getting the training done, but, you know, my, you know, everything mm. in my world had sort of fallen away and, you know, I felt quite lonely and, and sort of directionless for a little bit, if that's a word. Yeah, so I, you know, I... I, I bounced back from that and obviously I did well, but, um, you know, come 2015, you know, I had my first ever DNF in, in Kona and that was a, a low point too. It was um, quite a mm. sad time in our family's life. Um, my dad had to leave Australia while his father was in hospital and um, he passed away mm. while, we, um, while I was racing and... I pulled out of the race and it's something I'm not very proud of, but I, um, I just didn't have any energy or motivation that day in 2015. I, I, I couldn't keep anything down nutrition wise. I felt terrible. I, nothing had gone my way with, you know, just, I didn't, I, I didn't feel myself and I pulled over on that day in 2015 and my dad was there on the side of the road just as I came into town before I started the marathon and he didn't say anything and, and he said, you know, Pa's just passed away. And, I, you know, I felt so shameful for, for pulling out mm. uh, when my dad, uh, you know, had followed my career and made himself available there at, at the race to, to support me and he missed his father um, passing. I think that was that was a hard time. Mm. So, yeah, circle back from there, I just, you know, I really wanted to m- make sure that I wasn't wasting space in this sport anymore and, you know, I, I, I went to Bustleton with a real chip on my shoulder to, you know, prove to myself where I belonged in the sport and, yeah, I think that's, 
that's how that race sort of really I, I got the best out of myself racing from you know that low point and you know not sort of living up to my expectations but also my my father's I think and 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 finishing the year on a high and I think that's something that I could have been proud of as well it, what's fascinating about those especially those last two points that you talked about is how much you can be physically in a good place but when you're emotionally out of sorts you know whether you you you're going through a marriage breakup or you're losing a loved one or how your physiology it doesn't matter how fit you are you you your hormones and everything are out of whack and you cannot perform and 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 the flip side to that is when you're falling in love and when you, you know, you might have had your first child or, or whatever and these moments of, you know, oxytocin and the, these hormones of really kicking, it's like even if you're not fit, you can still find something amazing, you know. And it's I, – I, when you came out of 2013 and, and that sort of 12 months where self-doubt just starts to kick in and go, is this it, you know, and I've been there myself. So <laughs> to get yourself out of that funk – was it just keep turning up, finding consistency? What was it that got you out of that that funk and got you back on track? Yeah, and no, that's it's a, you know obviously looking back at it, yeah, I, I wasn't when you're in the moment, you don't you don't see all these things on a you know as a whole, do you? And you don't mm. really realize you know in the moment like what you were saying that you know during that period when when you're going through phases of self doubt and and things like that, you. It, it is very distracting to the to the end goal, and I think that you know the more um, simplistic you can make things at that point, and just cutting it right back to, yeah, simply just turning up, but also you know doing it in a way that you you're enjoying it again too. I think that was you mm-hmm. know I I was just a kid that really just loved to ride my bike, and yeah. so you know I'd get myself out the back of Noosa and and just just bank kilometers and you know I just there was nothing more than just sort of a lot of you know time to to talk through it in my head and and process it but I also had good people around me you know I think I always had friends that were were willing to listen and Mm. people like Belinda who you know I've always been so close to me to to you know support me through through thick and thin Mm -hmm. that sort of the the things that it, the the people and the the help that have got, had got me through those periods to to get me back on track and it's going to happen over the course of a, a long period a long career you're going to have those periods of you know highs and lows and mm. and I think, like I said earlier I think that's probably my biggest piece of advice for anyone getting into the sport you know you you you'll come you'll come up against it every now and again and that's how you deal with the situation and and move forward from there that that really matters. You touched on, that was well said by the way, but you, you touched on, you know, your dad. You, you guys have been very close. You know, I love your dad. I feel like I've met your dad numerous times on pool deck and everything. He's been somewhat of a coach at times in your career and obviously a big support, both your mum and dad. Um, that that family structure you have around you is is something that that you must cherish. It, it is, yeah. We've, you know, they they didn't miss one single Hawaii man that I competed in. So they they went over there twelve times to support me. <laughs> but it wasn't even just during race day. I mean, Dad would come out for a month before the race and run drinks for Crowy and I, or you know, 
you know, be there just to mind our stuff so it didn't get stolen or something, you know. Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah. No, he I get there it. day in, day out. And and he did it for everyone, like whether whether you were my competitor or he just genuinely loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it just goes all the way back to when I was a kid living in Tari. I mean, they, they got up 5 a.m. each morning to drive me out to Foster to go swim training and, mm. you know, down to Sydney every weekend for, you know, some kind of swim meet or, or something, you know, like, the effort and time and investment that mum and dad put into me, you know, and still do, mm. I wouldn't be there without it. Yeah, they're fantastic people. Big shout out to your mum and dad. They're up in Noosa with you now, did they? And they moved up and they in Noosa? Yeah, they moved up, up from the Gold Coast uh, probably about 10 years ago now. That's so, right. So, um, yeah, they live in the Perugian, which is great. Oh, that's right, um, that's right. School, so girls now go to school down near Perugian. So my parents have really embraced and relished in the in the grandparent life too you know mum and dad you know they're so good with our girls and 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 they're so fortunate to grow up with such a close relationship with their grandparents and so yeah I mean I was the same with my grand grandfather as you could probably you know Mm -hmm. um you know earlier when I mentioned that he'd passed away I think that was you know something that I hold dear in my my childhood and I think you know my girls are well on on that track as well with with my mum and dad I think is that family unit and the supportiveness that mum and dad show you know to the girls in in their infancy of their sporting life but not not only sporting lives you know their academic lives and and stuff like that I think you know it's it's a very um it's a very special time just to watch the interaction and and the joys that both of them get out of it. It's it's so wonderful. I love to hear those stories, and and you've you've listened listened to the podcast a few times. I I always feel like it's the ultimate privilege to have a family that you know welcome you back if if you go out to the world and you fail and there's always a bed, but they're always supportive. Um, and I think that's you know enormous for you. Let, let, let's forward on a little bit. I want to talk about retirement from your professional career. You know what what was that process like? I think you already had Win Republic going and Marlow Republic soon after. Did you not? Yeah. No, I um, I guess retirement, I mean, I'd always been an athlete and you probably know this from knowing me quite well, that I'd always always wanted to have something going on the side. And I think, you know, I was never, I, I think maybe in hindsight, maybe that was something that was a bit detrimental to my pure performance in triathlon was, you know, I was investing time in something else, you know, that you know, I thought maybe ultimately might become a career after sport. So it was, it's always like I was like looking for that next step before I needed to take it sort of thing. Yeah, smart. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, guess it was, I guess you could say it's smart, but it was also maybe a little bit detrimental at times to, you know, my performance at the time in right, sport. But, right, yeah. But I did genuinely love it and I always felt that I needed that to sort of, you know, make myself whole. And prior to that, we delved into trying to organise triathlon events with you know organizing the island house race in the bahamas that's and right yeah much as i loved that it was just such hard work and uh, you know as, as it was such a great event but it really hit home to beth and i that you know maybe that's not ultimately where we'll end up we won't <laughs> yeah. be good to experience but maybe not forever <laughs> I, think I, I think i genuinely loved it but i think beth just it wasn't where she saw our you know, retirement mm-hmm. life heading. Mm-hmm. And, but in amongst all that, you know, obviously um, I felt like I was quite at the forefront of the aerodynamic tri suit scene back in 2013. I was 
one of the only guys in the race to wear the sleeve suit. And, and the year prior, I think Marino Vandenacker was the only guy that wore a sleeve suit. Yeah. So there was this real transition and real shift happening around that 2013 period where aerodynamics was really starting to come into play in the sport and we were really starting to pay attention to it a lot more. And, you know, from there, my success at Kona really helped me pick up some sponsors where I was actually helping develop tri suits for them and um, working with a lot of the bike partners on, you know, refining um, bike parts and, and areas where we felt that we could make, you know, the marginal gains. And it came to the end of 2016 and, you know, my apparel contract was up and we looked around at like where we'd want to head after, you know, after this, this sponsorship agreement uh, ended. And uh, I said, well, I'm just going to make my own suit. We've got all the IP from what we've been doing with developing these suits with this other company. Let's just go ahead and make, you know, start this brand. And, um, you know, obviously we're still racing. So it was quite the task to sort of balance, you know, a startup and, you know, yeah, but and kids, just, right? I think you, when did you yeah, have your first? Yes, we had we had win at that stage, but we we're also pregnant with Marlo. <laughs> so Jeez. we launched Win Republic <laughs> on July the seventh, twenty seventeen, and Marlo was born on July twenty sixth on my birthday. Uh, same birthday as yours. My goodness. Okay. We're born the same day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was just the most hectic month. Um, <laughs> But then talk about riding the highs. I went and won I'm in Wisconsin yeah. two, two months later. I was just in this euphoria of, you know, we just launched this business and we we new, new child to the family. And, yeah, so I think that sort of that was the period where not too long after that we realised, okay, this is more than just a little side hustle. This is actually a full-blown yeah. business and we really need to dedica- de- dedicate ourselves to it. Yeah. And uh, so we... Yeah, we sort of started to plan our sort of phasing out of the tri racing and, you know, we, we were still racing but and seeing out some contracts and things like that. But um, the day-to-day really looked a lot different. It, it be- became a nine-to-five, you know, working on, on the business and, and trying to fit the training in and around that. And that, I, I think that was the sign that, you know, this is not going to be sustainable for very long and, and obviously raising two, two children amongst that and international travel, it, it just became very hectic. So... Uh, simplifying things and, you know, just scaling back the racing. And ultimately now I think we, we still qu- keep quite fit, but we're sort of, we're happy to be just jumping in the odd event here and there. And um, and it's not triathlon based, you know, I, I don't ride my bike much at all compared to, to the to the old days. Well, but it's all about time efficiency now, right? <laughs> yeah, the bike the becomes, time efficiency and that yeah. being running for us, you know, yeah. we can run, I can run in the dark if I need to. I can run anywhere, anytime. And it's the one thing that Beth and I can do together, arguably, if I can keep up, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Okay. So it's, it's good for the marriage and for, you know, for, for the supporting her and, and what well, she wants to do. Laura and I have looked at you two, you and Beth, this last five, six years uh, with enormous admiration the ability to to finish off your career, you know, your your professional athletic careers, build a business, raise two children, and do them all well. It's not like you you, you stop performing in any of those three. Um, your kids are beautiful. When we were down there in 2019, they were just so. Win was just so beautiful with our little Sydney we had at the time. 
And uh, we remember thinking, wow, they're just a wonderful family. Um, so somehow you've pulled it off. And what are some of the lessons that you basically took from your athletic career that have worked, you know, for your post-athletic career with your business and your family that, that are working for you? Yeah, it, that's a good question. And I think it probably comes back to what we were just talking about before with the highs and lows. I mean, the, you're going to have the wins in business and you're also going to have the really hard times. And mm. I'm starting to learn to not, react so much in those times you know I think Mm -hmm. you know there's times where you feel some desperation and I think that can be something that you have as an athlete as well and you you start to make change and when it's not actually really necessary it's just a moment that is going to pass and I think you know we've had that plenty of times with the business so far where you know we have the wins and things are going well and then there's there's the periods where you're like oh you know for instance you know COVID came along and we you know we just invested in you know purchasing a new warehouse that we, and, a, and an office space. And, and you know, I, we weren't, we were sort of just at that point where we were like, okay, we, we've really got to make it now. And then COVID happened and all the races went away. And all of a sudden we were faced with this, you know, very daunting prospect that, you know, the business might not continue from here. We, we, we had mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. we didn't have the clientele that was that was purchasing our tri suits to be racing. They they'd gone elsewhere. So we pivoted and we we launched Marlow Republic and we, you know, we sort of went down that more active wear route and you sort of um, were able to start that second business there. And I think as things improved and triathlon came back online, then 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 Win Republic really made a resurgence. And that was a good period for us to sort of take stock and and sort of really plan ahead for, for the future. And I think that's been, you know, one of the takeaways from, from I guess, now being an athlete and, and, a, and a business owner is you're going to have the highs and you're going to have the lows. And just keep focusing on the process. Just keep turning yeah. up, right? It's like, I, I, I keep saying that with our company. It's like, just enjoy the journey, embrace the journey, keep turning up, set your destination goal, set something that scares you way out, way out there. But now it's just one step at a time. And don't, yeah, you know. I think the other thing too is, is I don't think everyone's going to be on your team. Like there's there's going to mm. be people out there that want to see you fail as well, and that's okay. Mm. I've also learned to not take that to heart as well. I think that there was, you know, obviously coming into a space that, you know, that people have been established in that space and obviously they see you as, you know, the new upstart, up-and-comer. But, you know, I think that we definitely – you know, have built a community that we're proud of. We're very positive, supportive. We've, we've attracted a lot of good athletes. I think that's something that we can be proud of. And yeah, I think that's where, you know, I've, I've really, when I look back over the journey, it's only been, yeah, coming into our sixth year now. I think, you know, we've done quite well to attract good, positive people mm. to, the, to the community. And that's probably the, the best part about being at the head of this company. I love how you pivoted. I think that's fantastic. You know, you, you, you pivoted quickly to active wear. You didn't just say, okay, triathlon's over, <laughs> you know, with COVID. Didn't know when it's coming back. You know, so you live in this yeah. kind of like, ah. and you, you made that pivot. You made it quick. Um, your gear is amazing. Um, it's outstanding performance wear. You, you've got amazing gear. You've got amazing professional athletes saying, yes, we want to, we want to perform in it. And then you've got this community where can people still sign up for that or what's the deadline? How do people become part of the, the Win Republic community? Yeah, Winner. So Winner is a program, I guess it's sort of evolved to a stage where, you know, initially we, we 
had opened it up where we had a, a period where you could sign up and and then we would support you through the year as an ambassador, you know, with really good discounts and 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 having community events. But now, I mean, it's, we've got over a thousand ambassadors glo- globally now, which is something wow. that's really truly cool because you know the the interaction and the and the friendships that are that have been forged through that community are mind blowing. Like mm. just to see people, you know, travel to other parts of the world, and it just pops up in my feed that I see, you know, they're training together you know, somewhere in Europe or over in the States, you know, it's really brought a lot of people together. And, and probably that's, you know, it, I got quite emotional at Kona this year. We had 80-something athletes racing in Kona this wow. last year, which was, was quite huge. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, world, world championship level um, age group racing and to have them all assembled there but from all corners of the world from asia to europe australia america south america it was really cool so um i think that's you know what's been you know really truly the most pleasing part of the journey is just what we've been able to build there and we what we continue to build on so yeah no keep a lookout for our next uptake of winner i think you know people will be pleasantly surprised um, about the community and what we're doing. All right. Before we move on then, winrepublic.com, where do, where do people find, you know, the gear to purchase? What, where, yeah. what are the details? Yeah, winrepublic.com. Um, yep. Yeah, we're, and we've also got the Australian side as well. We're obviously looking to expand into Europe. We, we mm. were close to going there in uh, 2020 and then COVID happened. So, mm. yeah, no, so look out for us, um, you know. At, at an event near you. That's awesome, buddy. Awesome. Now, before we go, I want to have a um, a quick talk about the world of triathlon, where it's at right now. And my, my first question for you is somebody that's, you know, lived and breathed it. Nice versus Hawaii. What are your thoughts on this with them splitting yeah, the men uh, and women up for world champs? Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm mm. you know, I've, I followed the sport since, you know, I was eight years old and Kona to me was the world championships. And, yeah, I was, I'm. I'm seriously gutted for a lot of the athletes that really do aspire to to win Kona. Mm-hmm. We sponsor Braden Curry, who's an athlete that really aspires to win Kona. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I just you know had Jan in Noosa in talking to him. You know, yeah. he aspires to win Kona. Like the, this is what we've always known, and I think I can't even remember we, there was two two world champs last year. By the way, I keep forgetting yeah. we had another one in St George. But and, and I attended that race in St George, and I. It, it was a great race. Yes, it was a great race, but it didn't have that world championship feel to it. And, mm. you know, I'd been going to Kona since 2006. So, I, you know, I'd experienced Hawaii and just the aura around it and what it has done for people's careers. And, yeah, I just can't say the same about winning that race in Utah. I'm sorry. It mm. just didn't feel the same. Mm. And so... Yeah, I, I can understand it from a business perspective, sure, but I mean, I I just can't see how you know you you've really divided and conquered the the community there, and I, I think it's pretty tone deaf on Ironman's part to be to be doing it. To be honest, I mean, you wouldn't move Wimbledon away from Wimbledon. You mm-hmm. wouldn't move the Tour de France away from from France. So, well, it's it's like, what about your thoughts on splitting the men and women? Absolutely uh, up, up for that. I think, you know, I think, you know, to give that, that was probably one of the real positives to come out of the event this year in Kona. I, I did really love watching the women's race 
you know, and it being a focus this year and same with the men. But um, there's got to be a way that we can do it and in Kona on the same day and, and still stay true to the path that has been before us for 40 years now. I mean, it's, it's more than 40. going against yeah. tradition. Yeah, yeah, more than 40. And it's, it's just such a shame because, you know, I was able to go to Kona 12 times and it, you know, I know, you know full well that, you know, out of those 12 times, you're going to be lucky to have a couple of good ones. Um, if you're the average, if, yeah. if you're the average Joe, I mean, you, there's the Jan Fredinos and, and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, the one-offs, yeah, yeah. Daniel Reeves that come along, but, and they, they, they're another level. But to go to Kona, you know, you know what, a, it, it's such a, it's such a big event and to only, you know, get a few cracks at it now in your career, I think that it's a, it's a real shame for the up and coming athletes. And, mm. you know, hopefully there's some sort of common sense comes into it in the future and we can see everyone back on the start line together in Kona. Yeah. I Look, I think this past year's Kona was great to have Chelsea, you know, have the win and then have the men a couple of days later, I thought was was great, but everybody was still there as one community. Um, like you, I think the men and women should have their, the women should have the ability to race and have their mm-hmm. own race and not be distracted by a, amateurs, age group, professional men, whatever it is. Um, and yeah. I love the fact that Chelsea was be first across the line. And like you, I have a big soft spot for Kona. What about what about looking at these last year's Kona performances? Um, when we look at the men and we had top 10 all went under eight hours. Um, four yep. of them all went under seven hours, 45. These performances, what do you think? It, yeah, the, the sport has definitely gone to another level over the, it's probably over the COVID break really that mm. we've really seen it go on, to, go on to another level. And there was a really big shift in the, you know, the, a lot of athletes sort of fell by the wayside over yeah. over the COVID period and it really a new fresh wave of athletes started to come to prominence and I think that's exciting too, you know, like it was obviously not planned on anyone's part with, with the way that COVID happened but I think it was nearing the end for a lot of athletes and then COVID really had that massive shift and reset for, for the pro racing landscape and mm. Yeah, no, it's so exciting to see where the sport's gone in the last couple of years alone. Like it, to, to look at those results in Kona and, and to see that all of those top 10 guys are now breaking eight hours when, you know, I remember back in the day when I raced Crowey and he, he finally broke Van Lid's record and, and did 8.03. It, that at the time seemed untouchable. Mm. And then to just, you know, fast forward just a <laughs> decade, that wouldn't have even got him in the top 10. It's mind-boggling. Boggling. So, yeah, no, I, I'm a I'm a true fan of the sport, and I, I love seeing progression, and I love to see the way that the guys are racing these days, and 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 the girls are racing. I think the the women's racing, especially, has just really come on. Where we're not just seeing that one. We've had such a period where we had the Chrissy Wellingtons and we had the Daniela Reefs, and there was no one really, t- uh, you know, getting close to those girls, and and now we we. we they're lining up and, and it's, it's really is, um, it's tough to pick who's mm-hmm. going to win the racing. So, um, no, I was excited to see Chelsea win this last year and, you know, see some new fresh faces in the sport. I think it's, uh, it's what we need and yeah, it's going to be an exciting period. You know, obviously with all the PTO racing now, it's something oh, that it's really progressed the sport. I think it's taken the profession professionalism to another level and, 
um, just the opportunity for athletes to earn a true living and, and a living that they deserve too. I think that that's probably the most exciting part of the pro landscape right now. Mm, it really is exciting. The amount of events that athletes can choose from to, you know, race more often, collect decent prize purses. The women's racing, to your point, you know, Chelsea turning up on debut to do an 8.33, absolutely yeah. outstanding in Kona. Yeah, I think it's. I think the sport's in a really good place. I love how you said, you know, it was like COVID was like the reset. I think there is almost a reset button that happened there and, you know, we got rid of some of the older athletes and, and a new flourish of new blood has burst through and it's exciting to watch like you. I love it. Yeah. I've been fortunate to have many of them on the show and they're, they've looked up to you, you know, look, they've looked up to you. They know you and, and they're excited to now be playing their part in, you know, the history of the sport. And um, it's pretty cool to watch that us old timers can now <laughs> look back and watch this new breed come through. Let's finish up with some... Um, some questions. One bit of advice you'd give to your 18-year-old self. Oh, good one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, probably know, knowing now that I had such a long career, just to, to take the highs and, and ride out the lows. I think that's probably something that, that I would tell mm. younger me. And, and just there's going to be people that are supporting you and people that are against you. And I think you always want to attract that camp of, of people that are that create positivity and um, are supportive of you. So, yeah, hold that close. Well said. I really like that. That's very cool. All right, mate. And you've listened to the show before. You maybe heard this question then. Who would you want to have um, dinner with, non-family, living or dead? Oh, Three people. I love a good dinner party and some of the best ones I think we ever had <laughs> include yourself and Laura and, <laughs> and Chelsea, Jan the and Noosa Emma. crew. Like, <laughs> the Noosa is notorious for a good dinner party. Rinny and Tio. Yeah. Uh, I could go on and on. Yeah. Um, I love those situations. Like I, yeah. I try and put myself into a, a situation where I'm like, oh, who would I want to have dinner with? I mean, I'd, I'd love to just be a fly on the wall you know, at a dinner conversation where a Bill Bauman is talking to Steve Prefontaine mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Jackson is talking to Michael Jordan or something like yeah, that. You know, yeah. I, I love I love delving into those sort of into those books and and looking back at our sporting greats. But to be honest, I just truly love the what we're doing right now and the banter yeah. that our sport and the history of our sport. I've been very privileged to be part of. I just love those dinner parties, to be honest. Well, mate, when as soon as we get back to Noosa, let's let's we'll line it up. All right, <laughs> we need babysitters. <laughs> I know what these these dinner parties can become. Yeah. Next one. Where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? Well, the girls will be thirteen and ten, so I think. I'll be deep in dad life, I think. You know, I'm still, <laughs> I already am, but I, you know, just just even this year, it's gone to another level. And yeah. if we're not at nippers, we're at swimming. If we're not at swimming, we're at dancing. If we're not at dancing, we're somewhere else. Yeah. And I love that. And I, I think circling back to what we said before, you know, my dad, my mum and dad were so supportive of everything my, mm. myself and my sister Jackie did. And you know, I owe that to my kids to have the same upbringing. And so I think that's probably you know, first and foremost, the most important thing for us. But, you know, I think obviously continuing, you know, where Win Republic is and where we can go, I think that, you know, the, the sky's the limit there and we'll we'll still be here five years down the track, bigger and better. And, you know, I think that's that's an exciting prospect. And, yeah, I, I, 
I, you know, I, th- I think that Noosa will be home and uh, we love it there, but, you know, we do miss the States and I know Beth does dearly um, coming from there. So, you know, I think that, you know, that we try and expose our, our girls as well to their American roots. They were born there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we should house that, swap, buddy. I'm over yeah. here in the states, <laughs> missing missing the US, uh, missing Australia, and wanting to get back there for a little bit. You guys need yeah, to come over here. To come down here in July, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we want to get over there for July. Yeah. So we, we, yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, well, let's wrap it up with some rapid fire. You ready? Oh, all right, all right. Go. One book you'd recommend? Oh, well, I'm reading uh, Chris Bosch's um, Letters to a Younger Self right now. That. It was a recommendation from a friend that, yeah, I think that's a great read. And cool. I'm going to check that out. It's on my list, mate. You yeah. know, I selfishly ask that question just because I'm addicted to Audible and I just go through yeah. kind of books at two right. times, 2.5 times the speed, download them as quick as I can, but I love them. All right. Mm-hmm. Two most used apps on your phone. Uh, I'd say Instagram, of course, Spotify, probably that, mm-hmm. or yeah, I think Spotify. I mean, uh, listen to a lot of music while I'm working or working out. Cool. Or I'm on the podcast, actually. <laughs> cool. I love it. Toughest race? Oh, toughest race. I think that race in China 2010. <laughs> yeah, it scarred you. <laughs> waking, waking up in a hospital in Hainan, China with a drip in my arm and that was, oh, that was probably the hardest. Yeah. At least you won it. Yeah. All right. First job you ever had? Oh, had a few. Did paper runs. Did it was worked at Domino's Pizza. Paper run and uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know what was. For, yeah, probably Paperboy. I think I was Paperboy before I was a Domino's. Paperboy, yeah. that is the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for people I, listening that are under thirty, papers where people didn't have internet and they had to get their news from something yeah. physical. So, <laughs> yeah, I know this is rapid fire, but a funny little tangent here is dad used to drive the car and I used to do my run sessions around do you remember Lake Hugh Months on the Gold Coast mm-hmm. we used to live there mm-hmm. I used to run that loop and deliver deliver papers and dad used to throw the papers out the window and I used to stuff them in the in the letterbox and so <laughs> that was that was how we would deliver the papers and I'd get my workout in oh so, that is awesome yeah. I love that for all accounts. You and dad bonding, you yeah. d- you starting your first business and you getting a workout all in one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, out of 10, how cool are you? Uh, I don't think I'm 10. I think I could name f- at least five triathletes that are cooler, maybe more. But yeah, I'd, I'd say nine. I'm, I'm not as cool as a Terenzo Bazzone <laughs> or a Tim Van Berkel. Or you really thought this one through. <laughs> Well, I, I listen to your podcast a lot, so I'm like, well, there's people that are cooler than me. <laughs> God, I'd put every guest yeah, I've ever had is way cooler than me. He's one of my greatest friends. We've raced. Who's that? Trained. Sorry, I, I missed that. Sorry, Terenzo. Oh, T- yeah, T-Bone. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I spent a lot of time with him over the years, and he's definitely cooler than he's, me. He's a beautiful human being. I haven't yeah. heard of him for a little bit. Is he, no. yeah, is he retired? Is he, I guess he is. Yeah, I think he's... Deep in dad life as well. Yeah, I'll have to connect with him. Yeah, maybe we yeah, bring him over to Noosa. He used to come to Noosa a bit, get him for a dinner party as well. Yeah, love that. All right, I'm going to be teeing all this up, up offline, by the way. If I'm coming back to Australia, <laughs> we're going to organise all this. Yeah. All right, Good. here we go. Let's finish a couple more. Who, who would you want to play a movie of your life? Oh, um, 
it'd be easy to say Chris Hemsworth, I think. Yeah. But I mean, uh, he's uh, he's it's such a man crush on that guy. He's so cool. But isn't he? yeah, might be a bit beneath him. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be washed yeah. up soon. He's going to need something. <laughs> yeah. All right. Which decade of music is best? Uh, the most pivotal to me was probably the nineties. Obviously, that's when I grew up, and it was the, I was the most influential. But mm. uh, I don't know. My dad playing his eighties music. You know, I think that was probably you know in for me what you know I resonate with the most. Favorite race of all time, or favorite race even for location. Just favorite oh, race, Island House. <laughs> Island House, I know. Uh, yeah, no, obviously that's very. Um, yeah, I'd say probably Island House was a great one, a bit that's very biased, but I would say Cebu seventy point three. It's mm. probably not your typical one you would pick, but for anyone that ever raced there in the Philippines, yeah, I I would go as far to say it is the was the biggest triathlon crowd in the sport. Wow. It was massive, like literally wow. lined around the bike course 10 deep. And that vibe at that race and just the way that Fred and his team treated the pro athletes, um, the location, it was just such a cool race. So I would say I'd say Cebu 70.3. Nice. Is that still going? I think so. Huh. I think it's gone through new ownership now. I know Fred's sort of sold Sunrise events and it's okay. no longer, but... Yeah. yeah, I think, um, yeah, that definitely was a race that a lot of the Aussies used to go up and just have such a great time up there. So, yeah, cool. get, check right. it out. One last question. Greatest movie of all time. Oh, have you ever heard of Any Given, Given Sunday? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, the Al Pacino speech in that, I think it's hard to go past. I think that's a, you know, I love my sporting movies and, yeah. Yeah, I that's think, a great uh, one. That's probably my favorite. That's a really good choice. It's the first time anybody said that one on the show and it's like, oh, yeah, that's a really awesome one. Well, mate. Life is the vinches. Luke, this has been really <laughs> fantastic, mate, just to catch up. And uh, I'm, I'm serious. We need to coordinate um, dates. I don't want to get to Noosa and you guys be in the US and be like, oh, man. So, um, yeah, yeah, But I think it, we'll have to hit that up. But I just really appreciate you um, – you know, spending time. I know you've got a busy day today, getting up at 5 a.m. to to chat with me. Uh, it's awesome. What's next for you? What are you going, coming up? You know, you've got all these events, Australian yeah, summer. We, um, yeah, we've got a few expo events around the Australian summer. Um, Beth's got the Tokyo Marathon next month. So, mm. um, yeah, we've got a few trips there. But, yeah, looking forward to, you know, later in the year we'll be over at the World Champs. We'll be at Nice. We'll be in Kona. And, yeah, it's a really big year ahead. Yeah, so, that's amazing. Do you travel with the kids? Do they travel a bit uh, with you? Or? So now they're in school. They're, yeah. um, they're going to be staying a lot more with my mum and dad. That They live quite close to, to the school campus where they're going now. And, um, it's yeah, it's the unfortunate thing is, you know, obviously we can't just keep taking them no. out of school and traveling with us. So there'll be a few times where we go away for two or three weeks at a time. But, you know, that's just how it has to be right now. You know, we're yeah, it's a push. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. work and, you know, the kids know that and mum and dad just are so, you know, so great with the kids and, and the kids don't miss a thing. So, <laughs> like, um, see you, mum and dad. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they truly do love it, yeah. both, both, both my parents and my kids. So, yeah, yeah no, it's, um, yeah, it's just part of trying to operate a, a business globally, I guess, of is course. you're going to have to travel away a bit. Well, so, everybody go check yeah. out Win Republic. Buy all your triathlon gear for everybody in the Northern Hemisphere. The season's about to get going here soon. 
Um, and got, you got great recreational gear, warm up gear, the whole lot. It's not just time trial suits. Um, Might even get you back into the sport, Greg. <laughs> <Jeez. some stuff. laughs> I'm almost moving into the uh, the overweight class. What is that? Well, not overweight. What Lifestyle. is it? Yeah. yeah, I'm in that. I'm. Yeah. Um, I hit the gym pretty hard, so I've bulked up a little bit. It's made running a little bit harder, but I like feeling yeah. strong, so I'm kind of yeah, happy. it feels good. Yeah. Nice. All right, mate. This has been fantastic. Thanks again for coming on, buddy. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, mate. I, I love the show. It's such a, you know, it, I listen to it every week. It, it gets me through a lot of runs, and you've had such such great guests on your show, so I'm privileged to be part of it. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, mate. And i got to say, by the way, big shout-out, you and Beth were original patreon people from you know the early days and so it's my shout when i get back um <laughs> because i don't push the patreon thing it's not you know yeah. i i don't do it for for the money like that and but it was something that you know when you see your mates get behind you like that it really meant a lot so um big shout out to and both of you and, and 160 odd episodes later we love it so thank you <laughs> well, then, then it's going to be a crazy night on me when we get back <laughs> <laughs> Because it's coming great. right. That's my deal. Anybody that does Patreon drinks on me. Um, yeah. So I appreciate it, mate. But thanks again. Everybody, you can find all the show notes and all the timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.